Father God, thank you for the precious gift of your word. Uh, thank you for revealing who you are and your great unfolding plan of redemption and salvation for sinners like us. Uh, thank you for um, uh, that we can come under your word today. We pray that as we hear your word read and preached, um, please soften our hearts to receive uh, your word to us today, uh, to uh, receive it in our minds, but also more importantly, we pray that we would take it to the depths of our being, that by your spirit you would apply these words and transform us more and more for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. The first reading is from Luke 5, 17 to 32. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralysed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralysed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and the large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The second reading from Luke seven thirty six to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, 
he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began, his, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, a longer reading. We can't get into all the details of those different snapshots, but we will have an overview of them today. But uh, good to see you all. My name's Duncan. Uh, if we haven't met, it'd be great to catch up afterwards. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church, Victor Harbour, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, but sometimes you have a memorable encounter, right? Um, we, of course, have our own local example of that. Right, uh, back in 1802, Encounter Bay was named after that famous encounter, that chance encounter between Matthew Flinders and Nicholas Bolden, Bolden, however you say it. Um, that, that was a memorable encounter and, and sort of in, you know, engraved on the name of Encounter Bay. I was reminded of another memorable encounter this week, though, on Valentine's Day. Uh, so did you know that Miriam and I actually met for the first time on Valentine's Day? Um, it wasn't as romantic as it sounds. So a friend introduced us. Uh, a friend introduced us across a, a crowded room. I mean, that sounds romantic. Romantic, but he said, "Hey, hey, Miriam, this is Duncan." Um, Miriam couldn't hear what he was saying and just gave me a kind of weird, puzzled look and walked away. Um, so that was our memorable sort of first meeting. It turned out turned out okay. Uh, but sometimes you meet someone, don't you? You meet someone, and that sort of changes the direction of your life. 
Um, we're in this series, this term called Meet Jesus. And we're thinking about that, this whole idea of meeting Jesus. We're looking through the whole of Luke's Gospel, which is why we're taking just snapshots on the way through. Uh, we, we saw a couple of weeks ago Luke's introduction, how this, this is a carefully organised and researched um, account of, that, that uh, is written to give us certainty about Jesus. Uh, last week we listened to Jesus' own sort of inaugural speech, if you remember that from chapter 4. He lays out his agenda as the one who brings good news to the poor. But what we're seeing today for the first time in this sort of journey through Luke's Gospel is we're going to see Jesus actually meeting real people and what that looks like and the difference that that made. Uh, the change he brings is incredible. Um, it's a change that is like no other. It's on another level. We're going to focus on th these three encounters that uh, were read out for us, these three encounters Luke records for us. Uh, they're, they're three people who, for different reasons, are each on the fringes of society. They're outsiders, right? And maybe you picked that up as we read through. They're looked down on by other people. Uh, and we're going to reflect on today what it might mean, what it might look like for you to meet Jesus, if you haven't already. Uh, there is really sweet news for you here. Uh, news that can give you hope and freedom, no matter who you are or what you've done. Uh, and if you have met Jesus, these encounters are going to, uh, they've got really important things for you to hear as well about what that means, what it means for yourself, and also what it means for your relationships with other people. So let's dive in. Um, the first scene opens in, in 5 verse 17. Uh, Jesus is teaching and healing the sick. Uh, this crowd's gathered along with a bunch of religious leaders, uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So the Pharisees were this religious reform movement within Israel. Um, uh, they, they called people to really strict observance, not only of the, of the law of Moses, but also of a whole bunch of human traditions that they'd sort of added onto that. Later traditions. Now they can get a bit of a bad rap, but in some ways the Pharisees were kind of like the conservative evangelicals of the first century. They took the Bible seriously. They were zealous for God's word, and just that kind of thought is a bit sobering, isn't it? It's possible to be zealous for the Bible but far from Jesus. Um, of course, the flip side is just as bad. To, th to think that you're close to Jesus but to ignore his word. Um, both have to go together. A love for the scriptures and a love for the one who fulfills them. Because uh, that was ultimately the problem with the Pharisees um, and the other religious leaders of the time. There were, there were a few exceptions, but on the whole, they refused to recognize Jesus as the one who fulfilled the scriptures that they loved. They refused to see him as the word of God made flesh. And so they missed out actually on the whole meaning of the scriptures, of the whole meaning of the law of Moses. They missed the one that all the scriptures pointed towards. So let's go back to Luke um, and this incredible encounter that happens in Luke's gospel. But, uh, some people, uh, they're carrying their friend. You know, it's a familiar story to many of us, right? So these, these people are carrying their friend to see Jesus. They, uh, their friend's paralyzed. They've heard Jesus has God's power to heal. They're desperate to bring their friend to him. They're so desperate that when they get to the building, they can't get in because of all the crowds. They go up onto the roof and they start ripping away clay and tiles and they lower their friend right down in front of Jesus. I mean, what a dramatic scene that is, right? 
But then what happens next is even more kind of confusing and dramatic than that. What Jesus says next confuses everyone. He looks down at this guy at his feet, who's looking up at him with such trust. He's full of faith in Jesus. And Jesus sees his faith and the faith of the, the friends who've brought him. And everyone's, and everyone's thinking, okay, I know what's coming, right? I know what Jesus is going to do. He's going to heal this guy. But instead, what does he do? Verse 20, he says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, at this, imagine you're that guy, like lying there. You might be thinking, okay, but that's not what I came for. You know, like, isn't it, isn't it obvious what we're here for? What we ripped open the roof for? What, what this guy lying here really, really needs? But do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's showing this man and everyone else looking on, he's showing what his real, deepest need really is. Jesus knows that what he wants, he knows that what he wants is to be healed. I mean, (laughs) you know, he knows that. But he also knows there is a far more serious problem that needs fixing. A deeper disease that needs healing. What this man needs most of all, and what you need and I need most of all, is the forgiveness of sin. Sin's a bit of a weird word in our culture, isn't it? Uh, We don't really use it very much. Uh, But I, I think actually we all know the idea of falling short, of missing the mark, of doing and saying things to other people that we regret later on and that we feel guilt and shame about. But for Jesus, sin isn't just messing up your relationships with other people. There's something more fundamental about sin than that. Sin is fundamentally messing up, missing the mark, falling short, not in your relationships with other people, but more fundamental than that, in your relationship to God, your creator, God, your maker. It's something the Bible teaches us that we're all born into, that we all have this bias towards So, according to Jesus, your sin, not any other sort of external circumstances or difficulty, your sin is your great problem. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law know this. Uh, That's why they're so so scandalized by Jesus' words. Did you see that as we read through? If sin is actually fundamentally about how we treat God, then only God has the right to forgive our sins. Uh, it'd be a bit like if I did something horrible to Steve, like I start throwing a tantrum and chucking rotten, rotten fruit at him in front of everyone. And just a, you can picture that if you like. Uh, uh, <laughs> but then I turn to Ross and say, oh, look, I'm really sorry for what I did to Steve. C- can you forgive me? And, and they, uh, you know, rightly say, what are you talking to me for? Like, <laughs> Steve's the one you've wronged. Uh, he's the one you need forgiveness from. So the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they know how shocking what Jesus is saying is. Verse 21, they begin to thinking to themselves, who who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? That's what it is. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, we heard how it all plays out. Um, Jesus knows what they're thinking. And to show that he, does ha- he actually does have the authority to forgive sins, that he is 
I mean, it's a dramatic claim, isn't it? He is actually God in the flesh who can do this, who has that authority. To show that, he heals this man's legs as well. And to the astonishment of everyone, the lame man gets up and goes home praising God. It's this dramatic lesson Jesus wants us to learn. He takes someone in... I mean, this guy was in a desperate situation physically. He takes someone in this most desperate physical situation and he says, that's actually not the real problem here. You have a deeper need. Your spiritual situation is what actually matters. It's far more desperate. It's a deeper need than even your failing body. And that spiritual sickness is actually the whole reason why Jesus came. That's kind of what he goes on to talk about in the, the next of our encounters. Um, that's what he's, this next meeting shows us. So you keep reading on. And this time it's not a lame beggar, a poor lame beggar. It's a rich man. Uh, this guy has every worldly comfort. His name's Levi that we, we hear. Um, he's a rich guy, but he's still an outsider. Um, probably even more of an outsider than the lame man. Um, you read in verse 27 there, he's a tax collector. So uh, maybe you sort of know a bit about the tax collectors. If, uh, maybe you don't, though. The tax collectors were a despised people. Um, they were despised by the people. They were kind of seen as traitors by their people. So the people of Israel at this time were under Roman rule. Um, the empire would recruit locals to sort of enforce their taxation, basically. It was a pretty sweet deal, at least financially, for those who did it. Uh, but it would mean that these guys who did it were hated by their people, by their family, uh, rejected, uh, kind of seen as being in bed with the oppressors. So it's a di very different situation, isn't it, to the, to the first one. But this time, unlike the lame man who the lame man and his friends sought Jesus out, do you see what happens here? It's Jesus who seeks Levi out this tax collector, and he, he's walking past, he, he sees him, and with kind of an irresistible authority, he calls him, follow me, follow me. So this is a guy who had sold out his people. Uh, he'd lived a selfish life. He, he was a traitor to his people. He was someone respectable people didn't associate with. And Jesus calls him to follow him. At verse 28, Levi gets up, leaves everything, and follows Jesus. Do you notice what, what he does? Did you pick that up? He leaves, he leaves everything to, for Jesus. Um, he doesn't go back to his life as a tax collector. We know that because this uh, guy, Levi, actually becomes one of Jesus' closest followers. He, he, go, he also goes by the name of Matthew, um, and he is the same Matthew who wrote one of the four Gospels. It's a really stunning transformation, and Jesus delights in that. He delights to draw sinners, selfish, proud, rebellious sinners, to himself to transform their lives. Uh, that's what he shows the Pharisees down in verse 31 and 32. Um, they don't like him associating with Levi and his sinful friends. But Jesus says, um, verse 31, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, I think that's sort of in inverted commas, the so-called self-righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. This is why Jesus came as a doctor for this spiritual sickness that is your greatest need. Um, but do you notice something else in here? How being healed by Jesus, receiving this kind of medicine that he gives, do you notice how it involves repentance? See what Jesus says? I've not come, uh, to, um, uh, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what Levi did when he left everything for Jesus. Repentance just means turning, turning away from your old life and turning to Jesus. And it's, it brings real and tangible changes to your life. So I just want to pause on our kind of journey through these accounts and just to ask you to reflect, actually. Um, some of us here today are holding on to things from our old life. Um, habits of speaking or thinking or feeling or acting that aren't in line with following Jesus, with who you are in him. In fact, if we're honest, at some level, all of us are in that boat. You're still speaking and thinking harshly or dismissively about others. You're still engaging in the degrading and abuse of people created in God's image by watching pornography. You're still seeking comfort from drugs or alcohol. You're still valuing the things of this world more than Jesus and his bride, this church, your church family. You're still placing your sense of security and self-worth on your status or your bank balance. You're still holding on to old resentments and on and on and on. In other words, newsflash, you're a sinner. And here is the wonderful news of this passage, friends. None of that, none of that will ever be a barrier to you coming to Jesus, meeting him. That is why he came. That is why he came. He didn't come for self-righteous people who think they've got it all together. He came for sinners who know their brokenness, who recognize the evil in their own hearts, sick people who need a doctor. And if you come to him in faith, he says to you, my friend, my friend, your sins are forgiven. Utterly, completely wiped away, never to be remembered, thrown into the ocean. He's the doctor for sinners, and, but part of his medicine, part of his medicine for you will be to call you to repentance, ongoing, lifelong, daily repentance, to make concrete decisions and actions to leave behind those things from your old self and to daily put on your new self in him. You can do that because of the security you have in him. But do you notice what Levi's repentance looks like? It's not, okay, I'll leave my tax collecting booth, I'll leave all the money, the security and job behind, but I'm really not happy about this. 
but I'll, I'll just grin and bear it because you tell me to, Jesus. Do you see what? No, that's not Levi's repentance, is it? Look at verse 29. His repentance looks like a feast. It looks like a banquet. He gets his other tax collectors around as, as well as a bunch of other sinners too so that they can meet Jesus. He throws this great banquet for him. See what's going on there? His repentance, his turning from his old life to Jesus, is actually a joy for him. Because he's not focused on what he's losing out on. He's focused on the incredible riches he has in Jesus. His eyes, he's not kind of flicking his eyes between his tax booth and Jesus and back again. His eyes are fixed, his gaze is fixed on the one who alone can bring the healing that he most needs. And I, I just think there's something really important for us in this about our own repentance. Um, how could your repentance be like that? A joy rather than just a kind of drudgery kind of duty that you really don't wish you had to do. Your repentance will be a joy to the extent that you see the beauty and grace and love of Jesus. To the extent that you are drawn to him and his majesty and his love and his grace. That's what will turn your repentance into a joyful feast. You're, you're not, you don't lose anything in repenting from your sin. You gain everything. You're turning to someone to the friend of sinners who is for you and delights to heal you. So I know many of us are struggling with this, to leave the old behind. And I, the, the, what this passage, I think, brings out to us is that the first thing to give yourself to is to fill your heart and mind with Jesus, to fix your thoughts on him as he's revealed in his word, to warm your heart towards him, so that what you're turning from loses its grip on you. Okay, two amazing meetings that teach us something about Jesus, the friend of sinners, what it means to follow him. But there's one more. Uh, and I reckon this is actually one of the most dramatic and moving encounters in the whole Bible. Uh, by this time, Jesus has a reputation for being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You could read that earlier in the chapter. Uh, he's, got, he's got this rep for hanging out with all the wrong people. And over in, over in um, chapter 7, we're in now, in verse 36, uh, Jesus, he's been invited to this Pharisee's house, this guy called Simon. Uh, and Simon seems to be someone who's maybe unlike some of the other Pharisees who are really against Jesus. He's quite interested, and he wants to figure this guy out. Like, he's ha he invites him over for dinner, and he wants to suss him out. So they're reclining at the table, we read. Uh, in, in those days, the table would be quite low, it's not like our tables, and you'd kind of recline on your side with your feet hanging out behind you along, like a, along a mat on the floor or something. Um, and so that's the situation. That, you know, the Pharisees got Jesus and maybe a bunch of other respectable people. You're, you're imagining me reclining. <laughs> um, uh, there's a bunch of other respectable people around this table. That's the scenario. But just see what happens. This respectable dinner is totally gate-crashed. Um, it's likely that there's a crowd of other people who've joined just to listen in and see. But through this crowd, this person makes her way 
And as she goes through, you can kind of picture it, everyone sort of steps back from her and thinks, what are you doing here? Especially in this respected religious leader's house. I mean, uh, verse 37, we're told, she was a woman who lived a sinful life. Um, that's, probably, that's probably just a way of saying she was a prostitute, a sex worker, who was known to be that around town. Uh, and it's bad enough that she's there at all, actually. But then, it keeps going, right? Verse 38, she walks up behind Jesus, weeping, like full-on, not just a little tear, but full-on, uncontrollable crying. Her eyes pouring out her sorrow and her joy maybe at being with Jesus, but her, her tears so sort of overflowing that they fall down and they actually drench Jesus' feet. And she, then she bends down and <laughs> with her long hair wipes, his, wipes the tears on his feet and kisses them and then she pours this expensive perfume all over them. It's a really intense scene, isn't it? It's an intimate scene. And if that, ha- I, you know, I can't think of anyone else who that would happen to who wouldn't jump back and say, what are you doing, right? Like, if that happened to anyone, like, you'd just be like, what is going on here? Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. See what he does? He receives this. He doesn't care what peop- the other people around the room think. He receives this from this woman. He's even pleased by it. Um, Simon, on the other hand, is outraged. Verse thirty-nine. He thinks if this if this man were a prophet, like he, you know, now he's got his he's got his number. Now he can he sees through it. If he were really a prophet, he would know who's touching him, and what kind of a woman she is. That she is a sinner. Well, Jesus knows what he's thinking, and he responds to it with the, that parable that Bruce read out for us. Um, it's, it bas- there's a kind of a bit in that parable, but it basically shows us, it shows Simon that this, what's happening here, this woman's dramatic outpouring of love for him, is be- it's so dramatic because she gets just how much she has been forgiven, how much it means to be forgiven. She's, be- she's drawn to Jesus like a terminally sick person being drawn to the person, the only one who has the cure. She's drawn to this friend of sinners. She knows she carries around, around a weight, a crushing burden of her sin. She, she doesn't see everything yet, but she sees enough of Jesus to know that finally, finally here is someone who can take her burden away at last here is someone who can bring her freedom and peace so she pours out her love for him Uh, Simon on the other hand uh, he's he's full of his pride his self-righteousness he doesn't really think he needs forgiveness let alone forgiveness from Jesus And he misses out on who Jesus is. So Jesus says in verse 47, sort of summing all that up, therefore, Simon, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven 
as her great love has shown. It, the outpouring of love just shows how, how much she got the forgiveness of sins and how much she, she knew she needed it. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That's Simon. He hasn't loved. Uh, he doesn't think he needs forgiveness. Then Jesus, oh, isn't this wonderful? He, he says directly to this woman who has overwhelmed with her sin, but hopeful at Jesus, he, sa- he looks her in the eye and says, your sins are forgiven. And then I think with tenderness and love, he says to the woman down in verse 50, your faith, your trust in me has saved you. Oh, and imagine, I mean, imagine what it would have meant for this woman to hear this. Go in peace. All the churning that's within her, that knot in her chest released, that burden of guilt that she lives with, totally gone. So she can walk out of that room in peace. Jesus brings her peace. Her sin only brought turmoil and guilt, but her Jesus brings peace. So you see what's happening here. This outpouring of perfume and tears was really the outpouring of her love for Jesus. She saw her great need more clearly than Simon saw his Uh, She saw Jesus more clearly than Simon did, and Jesus delighted in meeting her need, in forgiving her sin, and sending her out in peace, in peace. Well, did you pick up what the crowd says in verse 49? Um, It's the same question the Pharisees asked, actually, you might have picked that up back in... um, with the lame man, they ask it, but they ask it kind of indignantly, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Like they're kind of, but it seems like the crowd are actually asking it like uh, with a bit of amazement. Who is this? Who even forgives sins? It's a question that kind of comes up again and again in the Gospels and these passages. It's, and it is the question, actually, at the end of the day. It is the question that everyone will face and everyone must face. Who is this? Who is this? Well, here's who this is. What these beautiful encounters with Jesus so clearly teach us and proclaim to you. He is many things. But what we see here is that he is the friend of sinners. He is the friend of sinners. Do you believe that? That he is the friend of sinners. And as you read on the Gospels, you see how much he loves his friends. How he won their forgiveness through his own death in their place on the cross. What Steve talked about earlier, that great exchange so if he has called you, if, if you have put your faith in him, that is how much he loves you. Your debt was unpayable. Very great. Crushing, even. And his sacrifice was greater, his grace stronger than your sin And now your forgiveness and peace is utterly secure. 
in the one who died and rose for you. Really? I mean, really, it is utterly secure. So I just I want to leave us with a couple of questions just to reflect on, to ask yourself, having looked at these three encounters with Jesus. The first one is this. Do you know yourself as a sinner and Jesus as your friend? Do you know yourself as a sinner, a very great sinner? Some of us are, are not there yet. Perhaps there is a pride in your heart that stops you from seeing the reality of that. Come humbly to him. He gives, gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Do you see, see yourself as a sinner whose sin is actually, whatever else is going on in your life, whose sin is actually your deepest and most urgent need? And do you know Jesus as your friend, your doctor, the one who calls you to joyful repentance and who sends you out in wonderful peace? Because that's who he is. Jesus doesn't recoil from you. He's not tired of you coming to him. He's not disgusted by you. He's not harsh with you. He is the friend of sinners. So come to him, weary and laden, heavy laden, for his peace to receive from him complete forgiveness, bought at such a price, but offered freely to you. Fix your eyes on him as the daily fuel for your repentance from sin. So do you know yourself as a sinner and Jesus as your friend? I know that's kind of that's two questions, but I merged them into one. But there is another question that I just want to finish with. It's a, it comes out in these passages. It's related. Do you know Jesus not just as your friend, but do you know Jesus as the friend of other sinners too? The friend of other sinners too. Or when it comes to other people, are you a little bit more like Simon than like Jesus? <laughs> Proud, self-righteous, scandalized at the people Jesus calls. Uh, I, I mention this because I think it's, it's important for us to reflect on that as a church. My sense is that churches can sort of drift either side of Jesus' narrow road here. Um, he holds together the fullness of grace and truth. He is the friend of sinners who calls them to repentance. Um, often, I think, um, the, the sort of temptation for churches is to drift one way or the other. On the one hand, uh, they can easily become places where everything kind of communicates this is not a safe, safe place for sinners to be in. This is a community for people who's, who already have their lives all together. And if you come here, you'll be looked down upon until you clean up your act and act like us. And we start to look much more like Simon the Pharisee, who was so far from Jesus, than like Jesus himself, the friend of sinners, the person to whom sinners flocked. They found in him something so magnetic and wonderful 
and healing. So that is a danger, I think, that as a church we need to be aware of. The other danger, on the other hand, is churches can love to extend welcome to all but have no place for calling people to repentance. Uh, They can even be places where what God calls sin is affirmed and even celebrated. Jesus never affirms sin. He welcomes sinners, all those who come to him humbly, seeking in him their healing and hope, and he calls them to leave their old behind and to follow him in newness of life. There's a bit of a tension there, isn't it? A a church formed by the gospel of Jesus, I think, will be one that lives out that tension. Um, A place of joyful relief for sinners, a place where messed up people are welcome, where burdened people can come and hear the wonderful news of Jesus and have their burden released. And at the same time, hand in hand with that, a community of discipleship where we urge one another to keep on repenting, to seek God's holiness in our lives. And all of that... Uh, Just like this woman at Simon's house, all of that out of the overflow of our gratitude and love for our Lord who has bought us at such a price. So let's pray in response. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we do confess ourselves before you as those in desperate need of forgiveness who in ourselves are so far from you. But we rejoice in this wonderful news of the gospel that Jesus is the friend of sinners who delights to welcome us and to call us to him, to follow him, to leave behind our old and to live in newness of life with him. And we do that together as his family. So help us, Lord, to please break through by your spirit to anyone here who has not yet put their trust in Jesus and seen the reality of their sin. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us. And lift our eyes to our gracious and faithful Saviour. Thank you, Jesus. You are the best friend, the friend of sinners who is always there for us, who always welcomes us, who isn't tired of us. So may we come to you today, again and again every day, even perhaps for the first time. Help us to see the truth of our sin, see the truth of who you are, Lord Jesus, not only for ourselves but for others too, and send us out in peace this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.